0: Play ball like a girl!
1: Aren't you a girl? He good eye. I'm a girl. That doesn't mean I have to wear a skirt. It's not a girl thing. It's not a boy thing. It's a skills thing. When I first started playing tennis,
0: women weren't really encouraged to play sports, let alone excel in sports. Just want to play ball.
1: Welcome to Ball Like a Girl. And here's your host, Olivia Stacey. Hey everyone, welcome into a new episode of Ball Like a Girl presented by Heavy.com. Happy to have you guys joining us this week. I'm bringing this podcast to you after pretty much pulling myself away from the television because I've been watching the Winter Olympics nonstop. There's so many great storylines, right? From Chloe Kim's gold medal as a 17 year old to Mariah Nagasu's historic triple axle. And we're not even a full week into the games, so there's still a lot to look forward to. And one one event that I'm really watching closely is women's hockey, and specifically, of course, Team USA, who is looking to capture gold for the first time since 1998. If you missed our podcast featuring the U.S. women's hockey team, including Hillary Knight, um, we recorded that back in December, You have to give it a listen before their next game. It it was one of my favorite stories that I've covered this year, and uh, they're just so fierce on and off the ice and what they've accomplished as a team and in their sport, but also their fight for equitable support. Um, It has really made waves. So definitely give that a listen. And on Monday of this week, we saw female ski jumpers compete for just the second time in Olympic history, which is very impressive. And the person who is largely responsible for that is Lindsay Vann, who is this week's guest. For more than a decade, Lindsay really led the fight for the women's ski jump to be acknowledged as an Olympic event. She's a decorated athlete herself. She went on to compete in the Olympics in the first year of the Women's Ski Jump. She's a 16-time national champion, 21-time Continental Cup medalist, and the 2009 world champion. Very impressive record there. And she joined us this week to share her thoughts on what she's seen from the 2018 Winter Olympics so far, her view on the Russian doping scandal, and, of course, shares insight from her own Olympic experience in 2014, which is really fun to hear. So that's enough of me talking. Here's the good stuff. Here is Lindsay Van. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: Doing well, thank
1: you. So since Thursday, I have to admit, I've been glued to my television watching the Winter Olympics, and I have an inkling that you've probably been doing the same thing.
0: Uh, Yes, exactly. I haven't really gone to do much else except watch the Olympics and then watch the replays and then the replays again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, your dedication probably is on a whole other level, having been an Olympic athlete yourself. So I have to ask from what you've seen so far, what do you think about the competition and who are you really excited to watch compete over the course of the next few weeks?
0: Oh, I think uh, all competitions have been really awesome so far. Of course, I'm excited to watch the ski jumping. Um, the women's event actually happened at 5.30 this morning. So I've been up since about 4 and um, feel totally drained because I, was, I feel so stressed for those girls. I, I feel it's crazy. Since having been in that position as an athlete at the Olympics, watching it I feel it all over again like it was yesterday and it's like I'm exhausted
1: (laughs) yeah I cannot imagine the range of emotions I feel I feel like I'm I'm the same way and I don't even have the experience (laughs) of competing on that level Uh, so you know you recently posted a photo on Instagram from the opening ceremonies in 2014 and watching it from home always gives me chills when you walked as an athlete I'm sure it's very hard to describe those feelings, but take us through what happens in the opening ceremonies, you know, from your perspective, having walked in it, and just what that moment is like to, to be able to represent your country.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, watching an opening ceremonies is an amazing experience. It's hard to even describe. Just the energy from all the people around you, all the people in the stadium, and it's so loud, and you can feel at all the support from the people you're walking with from the U.S. and from the people watching. Um, and you know there's 3 billion people watching the Olympics across the world, so it's a huge stage to walk in on. And honestly, I cried a lot. <laughs> um, I think I blacked out at one point. Like, I'm like, how come they're walking up a hill? I don't remember walking up a hill. And they're like, oh, you did. And I'm like... Oh, okay, and it is just such a cool atmosphere for an athlete to be able to walk into that, and to, for the start of the Olympics, and it's just insane. I can't even describe it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And you're surrounded by world class athletes. You know, not only your own teammates, but you know, a sense of unity. And we all hear these, you know, a, a wide range of stories about, you know, the Olympic Village and, and competing with different countries. Um, but the Olympic Village, it's like a functioning little town of its own. You know, you have your cafeterias, your 24-hour gyms, your banks, post offices, pretty much everything you need. I, I think some people think that it's just a place for athletes to sleep, but it's really, you know, your home. So can you give us a behind-the-scenes look of, you know, what it's like living in the village during that period of time?
0: It's really fun. There's a really cool atmosphere. Yeah, there's a little village. You can get everything you need. There's, like, some shopping there, Your gyms. Um, but you know, you're so so like the U.S. has like a whole building, and so you're you know living with uh, people from your own country that are competing as well. But like the next building over or the next floor is a different country, and it's fun. It's fun to go around and go into their areas and, and see how how they are, and, and you know, kind of um, be a fan of other countries as well. And it's kind of like uh, like a very I mean, it's very eclectic. it's, it's very mixed. Mm-hmm. You have all these people from all these countries all over the world, and they're the best athletes all together. It's very exciting and a cool atmosphere for an athlete to be in for sure.
1: Yeah, it seems like it would be. And I, I feel like some people have likened it on a very on a much larger level to like studying abroad maybe or, or something on those terms of like a college experience, but on an international level.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not just like the, the person in the next dorm is from maybe a different city or a different state. It's, you know, somebody from a different country, and then and then the other building is another country and another country. And um, it's just a really neat experience, and, you know, everybody's very friendly, and it's really cool.
1: Now, Lindsay, for more than a decade, you really led the fight for the inclusion of your sport – the women's ski jump, in the Olympics. For you, that dream became a reality in Sochi, which featured the first women's ski jump competition in the history of the Olympics. So being on that first women's team for the U.S., what did it mean to you to finally have that shot? Uh,
0: That was like the culmination of 20 years of working in the sport and trying to push the sport forward to get Olympic inclusion. You know, there was a lot of women jumping before me, like Carla Keck, who is nine years older than me, who I followed um, around the world when I was younger. And to get to the Olympics, it kind of felt like, um, you know, it's a highlight. I mean, to be able to get the sport there and then for me to be able to compete there was even better. You know, I I didn't know when it was going to happen. And if I was going to be, you know, young enough or – good enough to compete at the time. So for me to have the experience of helping get the sport in the Olympics and then being able to compete uh, was just amazing. And it's cool, really neat to see where the sport has come from then. And and even now, how much it's progressed and moving forward and how much bigger it is and how much more money is into it. And um, it's really cool to to look from the outside now and, and see it and that it's a huge event
1: that moment took a lot of hard work as you just mentioned not just training for yourself but you also had to prove that women could and should compete in the ski jump so can you take us through what that side of of your fight entailed and how did you become the woman who led that that charge (laughs) um
0: yeah it's definitely a hard role for somebody to take on you are being an athlete and a politician as well, oh, right. you know, fighting for your sport and <laughs> explaining why your sport deserves to be there, um, and it's very frustrating because you get a lot of no's, you get a lot of pushback, and you get a lot of really stupid answers to your questions, um, <laughs> and, it, and and it's hard not to give stupid answers back. It, it's <laughs> um, you know, it it takes a lot of effort, and it's really hard to separate being an athlete from trying to to push it on the political side um it was not easy um it's not something I wanted to do but I was in the position of of being um the top ranked ski jumper in the world in 2009 and you know I'm looking around like who's gonna do like who's gonna do this and it's it's like oh (laughs) it looks like me and (laughs) a few others, and it's not something you can just, you know, pass along to somebody else. You're in the position to do it, and if you don't do it, nobody will. And, and it becomes kind of a responsibility. And it wasn't just, you know, at first it was just for me to be able to compete in the Olympics. And then it was like all of a sudden one day I'm coaching younger kids and I have younger um, kids on my team, and then I realized, oh, this isn't about me. This is about the sport and creating the future for for these other athletes and these young girls that want to pursue the same thing. They need a path to follow.
1: Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of stupid answers that you, that you received. <laughs> it seems like, or a lot of stupid questions, but it seems like there were a variety of reasons used to keep women out, from the argument that women's bodies were too fragile to the rationale that there were enough international women jumpers to justify an Olympic event. So, you know, when you were saying it was very tough to combat that, what was your method to dispel those arguments?
0: Um, It was like, you know, watch us. We'll show you. We can jump just as far. And we are very high-level, capable athletes that should be allowed to participate in the sport. And the thing with that is that you just – there's no room for error because when when somebody messes up or there isn't a good competition um, that's pointed out and, and that's highlighted um, and, and at the same time they kind of overlook all the other good things you've done so it was in that way it's really hard because i mean you're in the spotlight and and any air is just magnified, and they say, oh, look, this is why you can't be in the Olympics, or look, mm-hmm. somebody crashed, or look, two people crashed. Um, but at the same time, they're not comparing, like, okay, somebody crashed. They're not comparing to, that, to the men's competition, where people are also crashing. Um, so it was kind of like a, a double standard to a sport that already existed for so long for the men, but at the same time not really being compared to them.
1: Right, yeah, that's very frustrating. Now, the lawsuit that you brought on the IOC did fail, but ultimately they agreed to include women's ski jump in the 2014 Olympics. They received a lot of negative publicity, and we're seeing that there is one individual competition on the normal hill for women, as there was in 2014. But men's ski jumping has the normal hill, the large hill, and the team event. So my question is, why have women been shut out of the other events, and do you see that changing any time in the near future?
0: Um, yeah, I hope it changes. I think it will. I think it's going to take time, and I think it's going to take a lot of frustrated athletes um, pushing it. It's going to take, you know, the bad press again and and bad media about the IOC for them to change things. I think it will change, but... You know, they gave us one event to start with, and I think that's that's a good start. But now we're into the second Olympics with the same event. It's time to start, um, you know, pushing them and asking them why and asking for those reasons and what can we do. And, um, you know, we do deserve at least another competition, at least a big hill competition or a team event or a mixed team event, something. I mean, one event compared to three is not a lot. I mean, it's only one chance. You know, a lot of these mm-hmm. other athletes go there with multiple events. And when you train for four years and you just have one event, uh, there's even more pressure on that one one event you have.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I had the opportunity to talk with a few members of the U.S. women's hockey team as they were training uh, for the Olympics and I also touched upon their fight for equitable support. It's a different battle than yours but it seems that we're seeing more women athletes take up these fights across different sports. Why do you think that is?
0: Because it's time. I mean they deserve it and now I think a lot of these female athletes have the support to be able to step up and speak out and you know, um, demand equality. And that's, I think it's good. It's only normal. And the more people that keep doing it, the better it's going to get for women's
1: sports in general. Yeah, it's a fight that has to happen. But as an athlete, I would imagine you'd prefer to be able to focus on training and competing. I think you even said that earlier in this podcast, it wasn't something that you wanted to do, but you felt you had to do. And, you know, filing a lawsuit, going to court, negotiating and marketing these efforts as you mentioned, essentially being a politician and lobbying for your sport, that takes countless hours. And I'm sure while you were training, it was very tough to find enough hours in the day, but you really had no choice. How did you approach balancing your time between leading a fight like that and as an athlete? Um, and what advice would you give that you took away from that experience to others who are now doing the same thing, such as the U.S. women's soccer team and hockey team?
0: Well, I mean, you have to do it, and you have to do both. Um, you, if you want uh, political changes within the sport, um, you have to continue to be a high-level athlete, which means you have to train, and you have to keep pushing on, on the political front of it. Um, I guess it is time management and priorities. You know, you make the time for what's important. Yes, you have to do the political stuff. Sometimes it's late nights in the gym. It's a lot of training at odd hours. But if if those things are important to you, you'll make the time. And and I think advice going forward to other athletes, other female athletes trying to change sports is you just got to keep at it. Don't get frustrated because, I mean, it is frustrating. But keep your head up. Keep going. You're going to hear no. You're going to hear no a lot of times. But just keep pushing forward, because it's the right thing to do, and eventually things will change.
1: When you were dealing with the International Olympic Committee, was there anything that surprised you in your negotiations and discussions with them that, that threw you for a loop?
0: Um, you know, I guess a lot of it, but just, it was hard to get a straight answer from them more than once. You would hear one answer one time and then we would prove them wrong and then it would be a different answer. But it was never a consistent answer as to why. It just, it just was how it is. And that was frustrating to me. You know, you're dealing with this high-level organization that deals with international competition and they can't give you a really good reason as to why you can't be there. Hmm.
1: And similar to other women's sports, the gender gap stretches beyond the Olympics. Ski jumping like, you know, a lot of, like I said, you know, women's hockey, soccer pays men far more than women. It seems that Laura Sankey, who's the president of Women's Ski Jumping USA, has been very vocal on this. What has been the progress on the issue of equitable pay?
0: Well, I don't really think there has been much progress. (laughs) Uh, I think the prize money is about the same. Um, I'm not entirely sure on what the prize money is, but I don't think it's changed, and it's like a third of what the guys get. Um, Hmm. Yeah, and that's something they have to keep pushing forward. I mean, I understand, yeah, there needs to be more sponsors and more money for people to pay those kind of prize monies, but... um, Yeah, I don't don't think it's moving forward very much at all. Hmm.
1: Now, when I watch extreme sports in the Winter Olympics, I always wonder how athletes got their start, because it's not every day that you meet someone who is a ski jumper. So what piqued your interest in ski jumping?
0: Well, I started out in a local ski racing program here, and I really just wanted to find jumps. I didn't really want to go around gates. I wanted to go faster and bigger. And... They had built the ski jumps here in Park City, Utah, for the '98 Olympic bid, and I went and tried it, and it was a pretty. Um, from the first jump, I was like, "This is what I want to do. I love this. This, I mean, I can go faster, and I can go bigger. And look over there. There's even bigger jumps. So um, I was addicted right away. Um, I liked the adrenaline rush, and um. It's a very unique feeling that I can't get doing anything else.
1: In that moment where you're just flying through the air, <laughs> what is going through your mind, especially when you're competing, you know, on an international stage? Do you just kind of go onto autopilot? Are you thinking about anything at all? I'm sure it's different for every athlete, but what is your mindset when you're in that moment in the air?
0: I mean, you're, you're so focused at that point, and ski jumping is a very technical sport, and it goes, you're going 60 miles an hour, um, so you have to be hyper focused. So, like when you're in the air, I'm just thinking um, to how I can make myself jump as far as I can by um, trying to fly better. So, trying to gain more altitude or trying to speed up and maximize my time in the air.
1: Yeah, it's incredible to watch. I, I love watching your your event. And aside from the women's ski jump, which I'm I know is your favorite event in the Winter Olympics, uh, what are some of the, the other sports that you really look forward to watching?
0: Um I really like watching all the ski racing, um the free skiing like the half pipe, slope style. I like all that. I have a I have a lot of friends that are competing right now in all these events. So, um I actually like watching them
1: all. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the more controversial storylines around this Olympics has been Russia and the government run doping scheme. That, allowed, that was allowed in the 2014 Winter Olympics and the 2016 Summer Olympics. Of course, it wasn't uncovered until recently. They're now competing as neutral Olympic athletes from Russia, but there's still a lot of talk around this issue, and it's one that has implications for the future. Do you think the IOC handled this the right way? What are your thoughts on, on how they approached this issue?
0: good job you know they kept a lot of people out that had a proven record of doping more than once and several times and they left the athletes in that didn't have a record like that and i think it would be you know i understand them trying to ban a whole country but at the same time not everybody was doing it and there are sports like ski jumping where doping doesn't even help you um so to see that they did allow some of them in i i think it is good i mean I think it's good for their country, and I, I think it's it's good for the Olympics. We need people um even if they are from a country that has a long history of doping and cheating. There are some that aren't, and I think they deserve a the chance to be there as well
1: yeah, and that's I think that's the complicated side of this argument because there's there's some who say, well, you know in order to make a statement, you need to ban everyone, but then you would be banning innocent athletes who have worked their entire lives for a moment so that doesn't in my opinion that doesn't seem right either
0: yeah i think that would. i mean that's a really harsh way to deal with it and yeah i mean these people have been a lot of these athletes have been training their whole life for this and um they may be in their prime and not being able to compete in something and especially if they are clean athletes and they haven't doped and they have no history no failed test nothing it's hard to say, no, you just can't come because you're
1: from Russia. Right. Now, do you have any bold predictions for this Winter Olympics, for Team USA, or any of the individual competitions?
0: Um, I'm going to go with no, because the <laughs> predictions I have made recently have been really far off. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I, I feel like I'm almost too invested, so it, it's hard. And then I just end up crying anyway for whoever wins.
1: <laughs> right. Right. I know. I'm like, the, the minute I hear the national anthem play for Team USA, I just, I break down and cry it's myself. Like
0: I can't even, I can't even watch with people because <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I, I'm i crying at the beginning, at the end, when people do well, when people don't do
1: well. Um, I know. Did you see that miracle? Did you, did you see the, the, the miracle story about the cross-country skiing the other night? Uh,
0: about the guy that fell at the very beginning yes. and then won. Yes.
1: yes, that was incredible. I was in tears after watching that.
0: Yeah, it's stuff like that, you know. It's it's or it's like seeing the underdog win or the person expected to win actually win with that much pressure on them. Right, I, that to me is just insane
1: yeah i i know i agree now i have to ask you because i'm a former competitive figure skater of 13 years so of course i'm very invested in the figure skating did you have a chance to watch any of the team figure skating yet yes
0: i did i did watch some of that i think uh, when um nathan chen skated the, f- the first day and totally exploded from <laughs> i think just pressure it yeah was, that's The Olympics is a different stage and it changes you and it really shows, you know, what competitors are made of and what they can handle and what they can't. And sometimes they can persevere and sometimes they can't. And it's um, interesting to see how it plays out.
1: How did you approach that pressure? Uh, of going to the Olympics it, you, you I'm sure you try to tell yourself that it's just like any other competition but you know that it isn't
0: no it's definitely not um, <laughs> it's it's hard it's I guess for me it was just trying to stay in the same routine that I've had and try to do everything as similar as I could um but it's not the same and and any athlete will tell you the Olympic stage is different there's a different energy to it. There's some sort of magic to it. I, I can't explain it, but it's it's very
1: different. I'm sure it's even difficult to like get a good night's rest. I mean, not only because you're you have a roommate and you're dealing with, you know, living with someone, but also because of the how just anxious you are. I mean, are you able to to relax at all during during the Olympics? Because there's always so much going on.
0: I mean, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to rest, and yeah, it is very, a very anxious time. Um, but, I mean, a lot of the competitions are the same, I and mean, you kind of have to, like, trick yourself into falling asleep, and trick yourself that it's okay.
1: Yeah, and I see that um, there's always a very long line for McDonald's in, <laughs> in, the, in the Olympic Village. It's hilarious to me because it always looks like that line is out the door, so I guess people are getting fueled up on McDonald's at the Olympics.
0: Yeah, I'd never even found the McDonald's, but I also wasn't looking for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's always funny to me. It always makes me laugh. Um, well, Lindsay, thank you so much for the time today. As you know, the name of this podcast is Ball Like a Girl, so I like to ask each one of my guests what that phrase means to them.
0: Well, I guess that's uh, do, your, do your best as a female and uh, show the world what uh, women are capable of.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. So, Lindsay, tell us um a little bit, too, about, you know, how we can follow you, how you're still involved in women's ski jumping.
0: I'm really not at this point. I'm a, I'm a fangirl. Okay. And I love it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you're very vocal and still supporting the sport, and I know uh you're a proponent of it, of it moving forward and, and being recognized on the largest stages possible. So. I appreciate all of your efforts, Um, you know, what you're doing for women athletes. It's really inspiring.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Lindsay. Well, thanks again for the time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me. And that's going to wrap up this week's edition of Ball Like a Girl. If you missed our last episode, we talked with Steph Lowe, who was a sports writer for the Seattle Times. I really enjoyed my conversation with Steph. We talk a lot about sports and her background, which is very interesting, but we also delve into topics where sports, culture, and social issues intersect, and uh, there's, there's some really good stuff in that episode, so make sure you check it out, and while you're on our iTunes page, rate us and leave us a review. We want to hear your thoughts on the podcast especially as we brainstorm topics to discuss and new guests to bring on board, your feedback is really valuable to us. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Connect with us on social media. Let's continue this conversation. Enjoy the Winter Olympics. And remember, to ball like a girl.